Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Pastor Jordan on the, the Spencer campus. He and his family are on a well-deserved vacation this week and next week. Next week, I'll actually be on the Spencer campus in person, and I'm really looking forward to that. I love to go down and see our Spencer family and just to be able to see folks I don't usually get to see every week. So I look forward to being there next week. This morning, we're continuing in our study of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. So I'd ask you to get your Bibles out, turn to Philippians 3.17, and while you're doing that, let me give you some background of what we've studied in the last few weeks leading up to the passage that we're studying today. Remember that when we began Philippians chapter 3, Paul was giving us his sort of testimony. He was a guy who had an amazing resume of all the things he had done for God and the great background he had in God. And his plan was that when he died, what he would simply do is show God his amazing resume. And he was convinced that God would then let him instantly into heaven. Unfortunately, when Paul realized that the price of admission into heaven is perfection, he realized he was going to fall far short, just like we're going to fall far short. And through a, a situation that happened on the Damascus Road where Jesus actually visited him, uh, Paul came to the point where he burned his old resume, which was a list of all of his accomplishments, and he now has a new resume, which has one thing on it. It's the name of Jesus Christ, because all that matters is what Jesus accomplished. Jesus lived the perfect life that Paul did not live. Jesus died on the cross to pay for Paul's sin. Jesus rose to new life. And the scriptures say that if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive us our sin, what happens is all of our sins go to Jesus who died for them, and all of the righteousness and purity of Jesus comes to us. And this all happens by faith. In faith alone. So Paul is saved, and we are saved, by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And that is the good news of the gospel. That as Christians, we are saved completely and totally by just placing our faith simply in Jesus Christ and giving our lives to be lived for him. Well, that brought us to what we studied last week where we learn that sometimes there's a misunderstanding that actually happens in the Christian faith. While we are saved only by grace through faith, that can lead to the misunderstanding that the Christian faith involves no work at all, no effort at all. And that's just not true. Paul taught us that while we are saved by grace through faith, Christian maturity, spiritual maturity, takes work, hard work sacrificial work as we pursue knowing Jesus Christ better, loving Him more, fighting sin, and pursuing Christ. And so last week, what Paul gave us was principles, principles of spiritual maturity. What are the things we have to do to follow Christ to get to know Him better? 
And this week, as we continue, and we are in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul is continuing the topic of how do we become more spiritually mature. He's moving from principles of spiritual maturity to follow to patterns of spiritual maturity to follow. He's going to tell us that every single one of us have to find examples, other spiritually mature people that we can follow with our life, that we can pattern our lives after. And that's what we're going to see as we turn to Philippians 3, 7. Follow other spiritually mature people. They can be examples we are to follow. So go ahead and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 17 through 21 of that chapter. Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. With mind set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're going to divide up these, these verses into three sections. First, we'll see that Paul talks about the importance of following godly examples. Then we'll see Paul talks about the importance of of avoiding and not following the ungodly examples. And then he will tell us the importance of living not just for this life, but living for the next life. So if you have your outlines, follow along with point one. Follow the example of godly people who love Christ. And the first point under that is this. Follow the example of Paul. Paul just comes right out in the beginning of these verses and says this, Brothers, join in imitating me. He says, if you're looking for a more spiritually mature person to follow, just look at my life and follow my life, he says. Now when we read that, the first thing that we feel is almost a a sense of arrogance. Paul, who do you think you are? That you're some kind of egomaniac, that you're some kind of cocky person, that you're some kind of self-absorbed person just to say, hey, be like me. But that's not Paul's heart. And that's not what Paul means. Paul has said many times that he is not the perfect example. He doesn't have his act totally together. We saw this last week in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, where he just came right out and said at the very beginning, not that I have already obtained it, attained this, or am already perfect. Paul says, I'm not perfect. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he writes, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. So Paul is not holding himself out as the perfect example. He is holding himself out as an imperfect example. 
He just says, I've been following Christ a little bit longer than you. And maybe I've gone a little farther than you. So follow me. One way to think about this, it came to mind, is rock climbing. When I was in my high school years, I was involved in a summer camp, and I was part of a rock climbing group. And for rock climbing in where I went rock climbing is not like summer camp at Hidden Acres where they have wooden walls and plastic handholds. That's fake rock climbing. I actually uh, was involved in a summer camp in Upper State New York, which is real rock climbing on real rocks. And we would have somebody who would go around the backside of the rock. They would tie themselves into a tree. They would let down the rope, which was our safety rope that the climbers would tie into. And I'd begin to climb the rock. And it always happened. You'd get stuck partway up to the rock, not sure where to go and how to make it any farther. And the guy who was on the top would be yelling down to us, you can do it. I know you can make it. Keep trying. And I'd be thinking to myself, how do you know I can do it? How do you know anybody can do it? You never climbed the rock. You just went up the backside of the rock. You're not much encouragement at all. What I actually needed was somebody who had climbed the rock before me. Somebody who had climbed a little farther than me. Even if they hadn't made it all the way to the top of the rock, as long as they had climbed a little further up the rock, they would be an encouragement for me. And that's what Paul is saying. Jesus is the only one who's perfect. Jesus is on the top of the rock. And Paul is saying, you know, I may not be on the top of the rock, but I've climbed a little further up the rock. So follow the example of my life. And as you follow the example of my life, even though I'm not perfect, I'll help you get a little bit farther in showing you what it means to live and be a Christian in this world. This is why Paul consistently tells people that uh, they should imitate his life and follow his life, not just in this section, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says to the Corinthians, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Spirit. So Paul says, you know, look to me because I'm a little further up the rock of trying to be like Christ. I, I'm not perfect, but at least I give you a, a pattern that you can follow. And the message that he's telling us here is we don't just need principles about spiritual maturity. We need people. People who have given us a pattern that we can follow. People who are a little more mature than us that we can imitate and be like. And Paul just doesn't just say, look to him as an example. But as we continue, he says, look around and find other examples to follow. Follow the example of others who are mature in Christ is the next thing he says. Philippians 3.17, he says, Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This little phrase, keep your eyes on, is a very interesting one. It means to observe someone or watch someone and, and not look away from someone. 
it actually originally came from a, a running sense and a running game. And if you've been involved in any kind of a cross-country meet, you know what this is like. You usually find someone who is ahead of you, who is a runner that is better than you, and you keep your eyes on them. You pace your run by them, knowing that they will lead the way and help you go further in the direction that they are going. You need examples to follow. And that's what Paul says. Don't just keep your eyes on me and follow the example of my life, but look around you. Find other more spiritually mature people. Put your eyes on them and follow the example of their life. And I don't know who specifically those people would be for the Philippians to follow. And I don't know specifically for you who those people are, who should give you a life that they should pat you should pattern yourself after, that gives you a life that is an example to follow. But why in the church? I don't know the specific people here to pattern our life after. I can tell you the specific position that we are to pattern our life after. According to the scriptures, we should be able to look to our pastors, our elders, and our deacons. And we should be able to pattern our lives off the example of their lives. So that's the next point in your outline. Pastors and elders are to be examples for the church. Pastors and elders and deacons should live a life that is worthy of being imitated. And I can tell you that personally, I see this as a very heavy responsibility. I see this as a very scary responsibility, and I do not take this lightly at all. And I realize that, quite honestly, more important, then the teaching of the word is living a life that is worth being imitated. Living a life that is worth others following and imitating. Because there have been so many great preachers of the word who have had their entire ministries ruined because they did not live a life that was worth imitating. I'll give you an example on that. Many of you know about James McDonald. And you have been blessed by the great teaching of James McDonald. But James McDonald is no longer in the ministry right now. He is out. And the reason is because of the character of his life. The things he would say, the hurtful things that he would do, the evil things that would come out of his life, that were not, his mouth, that were not worth imitating, destroyed his entire ministry. So folks, it is so important that if spiritual leaders are not just good teachers of the word, but they have to live a life that is worth following in the word. The scriptures are very clear on this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Be examples to the flock, is what the elders should do. Or Titus chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and then in your teaching show integrity and dignity. And dignity. The Titus should be a model of good works and how he lives. And the same thing Paul writes to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
So as Christian leaders, there is a heavy responsibility that all Christian leaders have in the church to be an example of following Christ for the rest of the people in the church. This means that uh, pastors and elders and deacons must be an example of how to treat their spouse when marriage is difficult, of how to disciple their children at home when life is busy, about how to find time to study the Bible when uh, there, it seems like there's no time in life to do that at all, about how to handle their anger when they find it coming inside of them, and how to handle difficult people when they're around them. Now, this doesn't mean that pastors and elders and deacons are perfect people. It doesn't mean Paul was a perfect person. But we should be further up the rock in what it means to follow Christ and to be like Christ. So, as I was thinking about this in my own life and looking around, who are those people, I said to myself, that I have learned to imitate and, and learned to follow because of the character of their life? And uh, I have an example for you. And this comes under the heading of follow the example of spiritually mature living people. One person that uh, is that way to me is uh, Haddon Robinson, who was the man who was in charge of my doctoral work. I wanted to be under his teaching because he is an amazing uh, preacher of the Word of God. He is considered to be one of the top five preachers in the English language to have existed in the 20th century. Truly an incredibly gifted and talented man. And having sat under his teaching and heard his preaching, just I'm amazed at his gifts. But what amazes me most about his life is not his teaching of the Word, it was the character of his life and how he lived. The example I'll give to you has to do with when I was going through my ordination. When I finished my ordination, and I was at the time serving in a small rural church in Michigan that was near really nothing. And according to the paper, when I read about my ordination ceremony, I was supposed to find a pastor I respected and ask them to come and preach my ordination sermon. I didn't know anybody who was near me who was that way, so I decided I'd shoot for the moon. I emailed Dr. Robinson and said, could you somehow figure a way to make it from the east coast of the United States to the small rural church in the in the Midwest of the United States to preach an ordination sermon for me. I expected he'd say no. But amazingly, he said yes. He said, I'm going to be in Michigan to do some recording for my nationally broadcast radio program, but I'm going to make time, and as soon as I'm done on, on that, I will actually drive up to where you're at, preach your ordination sermon, be there for the weekend, then return and go back to being the president of a seminary. And I was amazed that here was a highly gifted man who was sought after by many people who made time to be able to be there for me. And I remember saying to Cindy, I said, someday, if I ever have the opportunity uh, to to maybe have a little bit more of a platform, I want to make sure I am just like Haddon Robinson. And what's amazing is, here's one of the top five preachers in the English language, and what impresses me most and influences me most is not a sermon he preached, 
It was the way he lived his life. It was the example he set for me to follow. Examples are very powerful and very influential when it comes to learning to follow Jesus for all of us. The other thing we, I want to encourage you to do is don't just follow spiritually mature living people, but follow the example of spiritually mature dead people. It's called read biographies. Biographies of Christians who have gone before us and be inspired by how they learned to live for Christ in their time. One biography that was especially powerful and impactful on me was the one by, by Robert McQuilkin. It's called A Promise Kept. And it's not a full biography. It's a, it's a partial biography, just dealing with the relationship between him and his wife. And some of you have heard me talk about that. Robert McQuilkin was the president of Columbia International University, a very popular and powerful man. But his wife came down with early-onset Alzheimer's, and she was a very troubled person without him. So he chose to resign from being the president of that university to care for his wife by himself until she died. And as he said, I said to her when I married her that I was marrying her for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And it's a privilege, he said, for me to keep my word to her. And when I read his biography about that part of his life, at that time, my wife was sick. She was seriously sick. The doctors were talking about amputating some of her fingers. The doctors were talking with us about the possibility of her losing her life. And I remember saying, Dr. McQuilkin gave me an example of what it means to be a godly husband to a sick wife. I want to be that kind of godly husband to my wife when she is sick. Now, Dr. McQuilkin has written some great books but what has most impacted me in my life is not a single thing he's written in theology. It's all about the example of how he lived. And I say again to you, the power of a great example of living for Christ is incredibly influential on the people around you. Let me move on to the second point. Not only do we follow the godly examples who live for Christ, but don't follow the ungodly people who don't love Christ. Because just as godly people, you, can, you sort of follow their examples and become more like Jesus, ungodly people lead you away from Jesus. Paul says this in Philippians 3.18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross. What are some of the ways that we see people leading us away from Christ? The first thing I want to tell you about is entertainment. What we choose to entertain ourselves with can lead us away from Jesus. The music we listen to, the movies we watch, the Netflix programs we see, the things we watch on YouTube, the pages we view on the internet can be powerfully influential on us and draw us away from Jesus. You guys know, and I know, there is a ton of junk on the internet. You cannot watch that junk 
and have it not influence your relationship with Christ. You cannot see that junk and have it not draw you away from Christ. And there's a ton of it out there. One statistic I read this past week says that 30% of all data that is being transferred on the Internet is pornographic in nature. Other statistics actually say it's much higher than that. Now, folks, just as we need good examples to follow after, bad examples will lead us away from Jesus. You cannot watch murder scenes. You cannot watch bedroom scenes and all of a sudden say, this is helping me become a more godly man, a more godly woman. You cannot say that it's helping you become a more godly husband and a more godly wife. The scriptures say this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The other thing I'd like to point out for you is this. Something else that can lead us away is non-Christian friends. Young adults, I want to speak to you on this. I know how difficult it is to find Christian friends that you can spend time with. You end up sitting there saying, it's Friday night. Do I stay home by myself because I have no Christian friends to spend time with? Or do I go out with my non-Christian friends? And I know where they're going. I, I know what they're doing. But if they offer me drugs, I'll just say no. If they offer me hard liquor, I'll just say no. If someone of the opposite sex takes an interest in me, you say, I'll just say no. But let me tell you, at that time, it's all too easy to say yes. It is very easy to let our non-Christian friends lead us astray from Christ. Proverbs 12, 26 says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Let me be painfully honest with you, friends. Sometimes, as Christians, we need to say no to our non-Christian friends. We need to cut them out of our life. And that is going to be a very difficult thing to do because it means you'll have to be lonely. Some of us say, I just can't be lonely. The reality is there are people around this world who are dying because they're faithful to Christ. You can be lonely to be faithful to Christ. It's okay to suffer for that. Jesus will bless you for that. Remember what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The next point I want to make for you is this. We've we already talked about not following the obvious enemies of the cross, media and non-Christian friends, but don't follow the subtle enemies of the cross. Paul says this, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Who are these subtle enemies of the cross? These are people who claim to love Christ. They claim to go to church, but they don't have a genuine interest in Christ. They display no hunger for Christ, no brokenness of their sin, no sense of judgment 
for their sin. And as Christian people, you end up hanging around with them, and suddenly you say, I'm starting to be drawn away from Jesus by them. I, I thought you loved Jesus like I love Jesus, but the choices you're making and the things you're doing, they're leading to destruction. And that's literally what Paul says about these people. They're not leading the way to heaven. They're not further up the rock than you are to help you climb to Jesus. They're leading to destruction. They're leading you down. And he gives us three ways to recognize these kind of people. Number one, he says this, you recognize them, the subtle enemies of the cross, because their God is their stomach. By the way, this verse I've had highlighted in my Bible for years. It's very convicting <laughs> that you worship your stomach. They worship Doritos. You love the all-you-can-eat buffet. There is no self-control. Live for immediate gratification. The word diet is a, a dirty word. And Paul says if you see people who, whose God is their belly, this may be a sign that they are not genuine Christians living the Christian life, but they're sort of fake Christians living the Christian life because they're living to satisfy their appetites in this world. Incidentally, I don't think this has to be completely restricted to food. This can be applied to all kinds of other areas. Some people lived to satisfy their sexual appetites in this world. No waiting for marriage. It's, if it feels good right now, let's just do it right now. No sense of what the Bible says in Hebrews 3.14. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Another example you can recognize these people is this. Their glory is their shame, Paul says. What they brag about in life are the shameful things they do, not the good things they do. A few weeks ago, I was in line at Starbucks on a Saturday to get my coffee. And behind me comes these 20-somethings, and they're from out of town, never seen them before, and they're having this argument back and forth between them. And one guy says to the other, man, last night I was so wasted. And the other guy turns around and says, no, I was more wasted than you were. And they're arguing back and forth. And I'm thinking to myself, they have no idea who's standing in front of them in line. And I'm saying to myself, hmm, their glory is their shame. I finally got a perfect illustration for that verse when I get to it on that Sunday, bragging about how stupid they can be. Folks, when you have people that are bragging about the shameful things they do, that should be a red flag, that even if they say they love Jesus, they probably don't genuinely love Jesus. They are not the kind of person you want to pattern your life after. They're not the kind of person you want to spend your time around. So you don't want to spend your time around people who, whose God is their belly, who are just living for immediate gratification of the moment. You don't want to spend your time around people who are bragging about shameful things. And the other thing is you want to spend your time around is people who set their mind on earthly things. People who live just for the here, people who live just for the now, no sense of eternal life, no interest about how our choices today will be reflected in eternity tomorrow. 
And folks, you must remember, then more important than our status and wealth in this life is how we live this life. Our money and our possessions will not go through to eternity. Our money and possessions will not change our eternity. But the choices we make and how we choose to live and how we choose to care for others, that will influence our eternity. More important than if you have cancer in this life is how you handle that cancer in this life. Are you someone who trusts in Christ in the midst of that battle and has your hope on eternity? Or are you someone who complains and is bitter and griping the whole time because your treasure is in this world? Remember what the Scripture says. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. How we live in this life, my friends, will have a huge impact on how we are rewarded in the next life. And so, my friends, I, I say to you, what examples are you following? We all are following examples. Are we patterning, patterning our life after those who have gone before us and who are more spiritually mature than us? And are we pacing ourselves like a runner by keeping them in our eyes, whether that's the pastors, the elders, the deacons, or more spiritually mature living people or more spiritually mature dead people? Or are we patterning ourselves off of obvious enemies of the cross and subtle enemies of the cross who are pulling us away from Jesus when in reality, pleasing Him is the only thing that matters. My friends, I ask you, who are the examples you are following in your life? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this text in Scripture that reminds us that we don't just need principles about spiritual maturity, but we need people, patterns that we can follow, examples that we can mimic. And I pray that you would help us this week to cut out of our life those who are bad examples that we are following and to choose to put into our life good examples that can help us know and love Jesus more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.